We're in the final week of what's been a three-week study called Dangerous Prayers. And if you've been following along, hopefully you've had a good experience like I have. We've been challenging ourselves to think about prayer a little bit differently. On average, I mean, I didn't take a survey, but I know a lot of people, and I've talked about spiritual life with a lot of people, and I, I get the impression that on average, that when you pray, if you pray regularly, that your prayers may tend to be kind of safe. You pray for, literally, safety, safe travels, safe everything, or for health, or for prosperity, or for comfort. These are safe prayers. Now, we've been saying it's totally okay to pray for those things. God wants to hear from us. He wants to know what we want. He wants to know what we need. We're told, ask anything, and it will be given to you, uh, with the caveat that if God believes it's best for you. But we are asked to ask him for things. But the challenge for this series has been, how often do you pray for God to challenge you, to stretch you, to grow you? They feel like a dangerous prayer. We jokingly say, like, oh, don't pray for patience. Why? Well, nobody wants patience. Well, you do want patience, but you don't want to have to practice patience. And if you pray for patience, maybe God's going to put you in a scenario where I might have to wait, and I don't want to wait, right? And so we jokingly say don't pray for patience, but patience is one of the most godly virtues you could ever aspire to. Why would we ever not want patience, right? So that's the idea. We should want these things, and they feel a little bit risky. We say it tongue-in-cheek, because it's not really dangerous. It's not going to hurt us. It's actually only going to help us. It's only going to let us, you know, draw in closer to our God and know what He wants for our life and live to our fullest in that way. And so we've looked at a couple of dangerous prayer. I've jokingly said we could do probably a hundred different dangerous prayer lessons. We're only doing three. We may return to a dangerous prayer series in the future. But we've only looked at uh, two so far. In the first week, the prayer was basically, Lord, search my heart. Remember that? It came from Psalm chapter 139, specifically verses 23 and 24. And the challenge that week was literally write down Psalm 139, 23 and 24. It's four lines. Write it on an index card. Put it in your pocket and try to pray it every single day. I have lost my index card. (laughs) But I did keep it for a long time. And I memorized the prayer. And I will tell you, I've done my best to pray that prayer at least once a day. I'm sure I've skipped a day or two. And I wonder if you have. And it's a dangerous prayer because it challenges us. The prayer itself says, you know, in essence, Lord, search my heart, know my anxious thoughts, reveal my offenses, and lead me in the way everlasting. Solid prayer. But it may feel dangerous because I'm exposing my heart to God and I don't want to have it all out there, right? I want to have secrets. I want to have my own little closet that I can go into. It's dangerous, but it's powerful. The second week, which was last week, the prayer was, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, increase my faith, which on the surface might not seem like a super bold prayer, but we talked a lot about faith, and in order to have faith, we have to admit that I don't have all the answers. (laughs) Faith is about trusting that God can bridge the gap between what I know and what I don't know, and so if you missed any of that, it's all on our podcast. We also have a a playlist for all of our sermon series on our YouTube channel. I would encourage you to go back, make that a devotional study. What does it mean to be in dangerous prayer with God, boldly praying, God changed me, God moved me, God shaped me. And today's prayer, uh, like the others, is simple to say, but it's going to be hard to live out. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Here's today's prayer. Lord, or here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Mm. What is God calling you to do related to making a difference in the world around you? and the difference in other people's lives. Even these other safe prayers are kind of inward focus. Search my heart, build my faith. Send me says, put me to work in your kingdom. I've had the opportunity to meet some incredible people who have done some amazing things 
in the lives of other people. And you probably have too. And I, I just, I, I actually started thinking of, and I literally wrote a list of people like, wow, wow, wow. And I was inspired just to see their names. Let me tell you about a couple of them. I got a, a friend named Dr. Ajay Lal. And this man lives in India. He was uh, born and raised there, came to America, went to some school there, became a Christian in India. He was a very rare Indian Christian uh, in his life uh, as a child, but then he's since gone back over there. He's been over there for, I don't know, 30 years or something since, since he went back, and he established an organization called Central India Christian Mission. This man's inspiring. The things that he and his organization do and the stories he could tell. So together, they have planted over 3,000 churches in India. They started a hospital can you imagine, like, where do you begin to start a hospital? But they've got a hospital. They trained hundreds of Christian leaders to go out and be preachers and ministers. Some of their people are missionaries to America. Yeah, take that, America. We need Jesus probably more than a lot of other places in the world. And so they've sent their people here. This is Dr. Ajay Law. Thousands of people have come to Christ through him. He has made such a huge difference in the kingdom of God. There are stories about him being held at gunpoint for his faith. Some of his closest friends have been killed, martyred, for sharing the name of Jesus in public by Hindu extremists. Their houses burned down. Their families killed in front of them. This isn't the 1600s. This is a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Where do you get to a place where you're that guy? You're leading that organization with that level of braveness and boldness. I'm going to tell you this. This is a man who lives out that prayer. Here I am, Lord. Send me. What do you need? I think about my friend Beth. Some of you know my friend Beth Cross. Uh, she lives in Virginia in the Portsmouth area. Her husband's a, a minister and their family is some of our best friends. And uh, for years she was the director of an organization that worked with battered women. And under her leadership, that shelter grew and it was now in multiple locations. And I guess the hundreds of ladies that she took out of abuse and violence and got them to a safe house and then helped them to reestablish their lives and get their kids taken care of and the medicine and the food and the education and all these things that need to happen with all these children. And she's on the front lines for these things. And there are people who are angry at her and her organization because their, their person that they used to abuse has disappeared. And people show up threatening violence. Wow. And she stands boldly on the front line and says, I'll do this. Now she's working for a different organization now trying to educate people and stop human trafficking. This is incredible. But this is an individual, a friend of mine that I know lives daily the prayer, here I am, Lord, send me. Or closer to home, I met another lady. Her name is also Beth. Her name's Beth Pence, and she lives in Leland. And I met her recently at just a, a, a gathering of some Christian people here. And... Um, she was just beginning to tell stories and I found out that she is a rock star in living out her faith. And so her and her husband have built a house in Leland and every single week they have dozens of people just come up to the house that they just feed. Some of them are just friends and some of them are people who are like, hey, you need a meal? Come and eat. And she's helped homeless people find homes and she's helped people who need cars so that they can go to work, find cars and not have debt in that thing. Recently, she had a nearby neighbor whose house burned down. This is an older couple in their 80s who didn't have homeowner's insurance. The house burned down to the ground. They were still heating that thing with a wood stove. They had nothing. And you know what she did? She was able to start a GoFundMe and raise enough money to buy them a brand new house. This is a person who every day lives the prayer, here I am, Lord. Send me. She's also a mother of four. And they built their house with their own hands. She doesn't have like extra time than me. <laughs> But she's focused on this dangerous prayer. Lord, where do you want to use me? Send me. 
So how do I become a person like that? Is it even possible? Is it even something that I would want to do? And why don't we want to pray that prayer? I think that if we were to be really honest with ourselves, we would say, it's hard to pray the prayer, here I am, Lord, send me, because, one word, I'm scared. I'm scared of what might happen if, if I follow you where you want me to go. What do you want me to do? You want me to, do I have to like move to a third world country and live in a mud hut for the next 20 years? I just don't want to do that. I'm allergic to inconvenience. <laughs> Allergies. This is a medical condition. I got a doctor's note, right? Are you going to make me like break up with somebody? I'm going to have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah, that's just asking a lot. That is asking a lot, Lord. I do. Am I going to have to like quit my prosperous job and go work at a Title I school where I'm going to hardly make any money? Right? We don't pray that because we're, we're scared. We're scared of what might happen if God answers the prayer and he sends us. Here I am, Lord. Send me. But here's another perspective. What if, what if the creator of your soul actually knows what's best for you? What if he actually designed you a certain way to be in a certain scenario? Do you think he would lead you to somewhere where you are a cog that doesn't fit? No. What if God actually loves you and wants to put you in a place where you can prosper, where you can thrive? And yes, it might mean changing the life that you have now, but only for something better. It might be an inconvenient transition period, but only for being slapped in the middle of where God is calling you in your life. Here I am, Lord, send me. If you spend any time in your life trying to serve God, like any amount, like literally you showed up today and you, this is your first time at church and you're like, I think this would be good for me. I'm talking about that level. Like you're not even like, you're not trying to be a missionary in another country. You're not trying to translate the Bible into a language that doesn't have it. You just like showed up at church. You're trying. My guess is if you've been on that level, on any level, at some point in your life, you felt the tugging on your heart that you think maybe God was trying to get you to do something. Just a little tugging. Just a little tugging. You're sitting at lunch with a friend. You're like, I should pick up the bill. I should pick up the bill. Nah, I don't want to pick up the bill. But that Look, uh, Disney calls it Jiminy Cricket. There's a little cricket, and he's your conscience, and you give him a little whistle, he's going to be your guide. The scriptures don't describe it that way. They say God's Holy Spirit is our guide. He knocks on our heart's door. He inspires us and tutors us and leads us. There's a good chance that if you were felt to do something that was godly, that it was God's Spirit himself or maybe his nature, he's, we were created in his image, within us, that prompted us to feel that way. The question is, how did you respond? Here I am, Lord, send me. So this is a prayer, if I had to like categorize this prayer, this is a prayer of availability. Make me available. Make, put me to work. I'm willing to do what needs to be done. And if the prayer sounds familiar to you, it might be because it's a very famous prayer prayed by a very famous person in the Bible. Uh, I want to get you to get your Bibles out, if you will. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah and chapter 6 today. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. It's one of the biggest books in the Bible. It's difficult to read because it's Old Testament and it's like a, a, a prophetic literature and so some of it's symbolic and things like that. We spent a whole like six or eight weeks or something studying prophets this summer, so I think most of you remember some of that. Uh, if you don't, it's okay, but it's... it's 
but when we get to Isaiah 6, there's a pretty straightforward story that happens. Isaiah's going to see a vision. He's going to find himself in the presence of God. And some things happen there where God is ultimately going to call him to do something, and we see how he responds to that. And so I want you to get your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Feel free to use your phones. Feel free to look at it on the screen here. We have uh, paper Bibles by the back door here. If you need a Bible, uh, you don't have one, you just forgot yours, feel free to always grab one of those and use it at church. Or keep it. It could be yours if you want it. Put your name in the front cover. Everybody needs a good Bible. We give them away. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. He's going to give us a little bit of a time stamp. Uh, he says here in uh, Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, Paul's, this is kind of insignificant to us because it was a long time ago, but almost every prophet in the Bible lists a king of some kind. And the reason is, this is like putting a time stamp on it. If you lived near that time or you're familiar with the history, you're like, oh, this was just after King Uzziah died. But also, specifically for Isaiah, Isaiah is written during a time period when there's a big transition for the nation of Israel. The Jewish people, the Hebrews, God's chosen people, the people that the whole Old Testament's about. Like, they had enjoyed a time of prosperity. I would call it the golden age of the, you know, the, the, the nation of Israel. Uh, this is as the, the age is falling apart, okay? There are a couple of kings that God just kind of tells them, like, it's about to be over. And then at, at Uzziah's passing, there's really a big shift that begins to happen. And if you keep on reading chapter 6 and especially beyond, you're going to find out that the Assyrian Empire and later the Babylonian Empire are going to come in. They're going to wipe out the nation of Israel, and it's a whole thing. And Israel has been disobedient to God, and God is saying, listen, if you don't want me in your life, let me show you what it's like to have life without me. <laughs> And so he kind of, he doesn't completely remove his blessing, but he allows them to go into exile. So that, that's kind of the, the Uzziah thing. That lets you know where we are in history. But then this is what happens. So keep going. In the year I saw, uh, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. Picture it, okay? There's just a throne. I know it's hard to picture it, but it says the train of his robe filled the temple. We're in the temple now. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the temple that was in Jerusalem was actually sort of like a map that showed how things were arranged in heaven. And you can read about this in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, also in the book of Revelation. And so some of the things that happened in the temple, the certain altars, the certain uh, places where uh, sacrifices would happen, the, the inter, inner sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant lived, this is called the Holy of Holies. This is like the throne room. And so it's neat that God gave them the temple, and it was also like a blueprint of not exactly how heaven's laid out, but how God wants us to imagine it. There's like this concentric circle around the presence of God. That's kind of what the temple did. And if you ever had a dream where, like, you were in a place that you've been before, you're like, that doesn't make sense. Why was Uncle Johnny there? He'd never been in that place. But, like, I feel like God uses this moment for Isaiah to say, you, you see in the temple, right? Okay, let's place this in the temple. You see me? I'm on the throne. His robe fills the temple. Keep going. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Picture an angelic creature. I could spend a, a whole sermon doing a terrible job trying to teach on what in the world seraphim are. Just know this. They are powerful, amazing, angelic creatures. They had two wings covering their face. They had two covering their feet. They had two that were flying with. But the important thing you need to know about these seraphim is that they were singing. And they sang this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow. This moment is stunning. We are very bad as a culture who has such good computer animation at imagining things. Because you're like, I wait for Marvel to make a movie about this scene and then I could see what it looks like. But you try, try to imagine it. 
It's just this scene. God is immaculate and amazing. He fills the space. And then there's these angels that are in there, these seraphim we're calling them. And they're like a class of being uh, just on their own from what I can understand. They're just powerful. They're amazing. And it seems that one of their main jobs is just to be in the presence of God and sing his glory. We see them in a couple other places as well. And they sing this song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when you see this like ancient literature, anytime you see something repeated more than once, especially three times, it's significant. Like for us, we would... All caps, boldface, highlight, five exclamation points, and six emojis. Like, we'd be like, this is important, right? So, in this ancient literature, it's saying holy, comma, holy, comma, holy. They didn't have commas in Hebrew. That was just on my nerves that I said that. But it's important that they said it three times. What is the message these angels are singing about God? The most important thing about him is his holiness. What is holiness? I mean, holiness is, is to be set apart, to be otherly. Nothing compares to it. We often think of it as purity or without sin, without blemish, and certainly that's part of it. But just God's nature is just it's over there. And there's a problem with his nature being over there is because our nature is over here. And his holiness and our nature, they collide because of our sin and our lives. But there's this chorus of songs, and listen to this. I'm trying to get us to picture it. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds trembled. These creatures whose voices can shake a stone temple, these creatures, okay, would you be scared of that creature? These creatures are covering their eyes and bowing down to the person sitting on the throne. And Isaiah is painting a picture for us that this being, God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. He's important. It's a great reminder of the reverence that we should have in the presence of God. I think we get pretty flippant. I think you would agree. I mean, we love modern church. I'm wearing a t-shirt. All right, I'm the preacher. It's supposed to be special, right? And we're in a gym, and Jesus is my homeboy, right? And we pray real lightheartedly. I don't think we should be legalistic. I don't think it's about legalism. But I do think that if God is that mighty... We need to take into account that he's powerful. His holiness is such that no one can enter his presence without dying. Not because he's mean or angry. It's just like you also can't walk on the surface of the sun. You just can't. It's just too powerful. You'll melt. So this isn't even the full presence of God. This is just a manifestation. This is all he's letting Isaiah see. And Isaiah is stunned He is absolutely stunned. Verse 5 says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is immediately aware of his inadequacy in the presence of God. Oh my goodness. Have you ever gone to a party and you were like way underdressed? And you're just like, oh, I didn't come prepared for this. Or maybe you're way overdressed. Oh, wow, I feel awkward. Like imagine that times a million, okay? And you're in the presence of God. And you thought you were a good guy. You really did. Isaiah, like on the list of good guys, he's got to be up there, okay? He's killing it. 
for God to allow him to have this vision, he must be a really, really good person. But even Isaiah, in the presence of God, says, woe to me, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I'm from a people of unclean lips. Guys, we got to hear this. We live in a culture of unclean lips. We just let our sin swish and swash and as long as I can eventually do a good thing for somebody. And Isaiah's like, I thought I was good. But when I stepped into the presence of God, I realized just how inadequate I was. The good news is that our God loves being with us. So over and over throughout his story, he's making a way for us to be with him. And so, yes, I'm ruined. I'm unclean lips. People have unclean lips. And God's like, it's okay. I know. Let me make a way to be. And the thing that happens for him to get good with God here uh, is pretty interesting. Verse 6, we see it. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongs of the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins atoned for. This is just a purification moment. And we could spend a lot more time talking about it, but honestly, that's not even my point today. My big idea that I see in that is that God comes in and says, listen, I understand your inadequacy. I understand your brokenness, your sin. I get that. But I really want to be with you. I've got a way to purify you. Today, we do it through entering the throne room with Jesus in our presence. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord, it's not just because we need to join a club, because we're not sure what our religious status is on Facebook, we got to make sure we decide. So, no, we, we choose Jesus because through his blood on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, he steps in and purifies us like putting those coals on our lips. He says, if you come with me, I'll purify you. And then in verse 8, God asks a fairly ambiguous question, if you're honest. Look at verse 8. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Notice he doesn't tell them where they need to go or what they need to do. Just, who shall I send? And Isaiah speaks up. He says, here I am. Send me. And there it is. Isaiah says the dangerous prayer. Here I am, Lord, send me. Our goal through this series has been to stretch our prayer life so that we can begin to pray for God to do things in our life that matter I understand it's really important that you get safely home from grandma's house, and that should be prayed for. But let's be honest, if you've gotten a little fender bender, you'd probably still be okay. But what about changing the world for his name? What about shining light into dark places and help people come into the presence of the throne room and join you in worship? What about stepping into the lives of children who don't have good parents in their life and making a difference? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this prayer may seem kind of odd because God doesn't give specific instructions at the moment to where Isaiah, maybe Isaiah just kind of knew and there's actually some speculation that maybe there had been other conversations before this. I'll never forget a moment in high school when one of my buddies came to the lunch table and uh, this group of friends, we were, we were Christians and um, it was kind of part of how we became friends. And this one guy walked up and he was super excited and he said, uh, he said, ah, it happened guys, I got my calling. I got my calling, I know what I'm gonna do, I have my calling. And he was excited, he decided to become a preacher. Ironically, I remember thinking that's the dumbest thing in the world, I ain't never, 
hey, never going to be preached. I, I, that's not even a joke. That's like not even close to a joke. Um, I was like, well, good for you, man. All right. Um, so he was excited. He got his call. Well, later that day, I had another buddy, and he, uh, he had recently become a Christian. He was still figuring things out, and he asked me on the side. He was like, man, what did he mean that he got his calling? What does that even mean? He was genuinely confused. Like, did he hear the voice of God? That's amazing. Or like, did he send him like, a, did, <laughs> they weren't emails. Did he, did, he send, did he call? Like, did he send him a letter? Like, what? What does he mean? And so you might be that person this morning that you feel like that second friend. You're like, what does it even mean? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And you're like, where? Who? What voices are y'all hearing? I don't even know what needs to be done. I want you to know that uh, knowing God's specific will for your life, like my name is Chris and I believe that God has a will for my life and there's my friend Brent. I believe God has a will, a will for Brent's life. And for me to try to stand here and in a 35-minute sermon, which we have mostly used up the time for by now, there's no way I could begin to even scratch the surface of what I think God could do in Brent's life. So please don't ask that of me. I have no idea what God's specific will for your life is. But I do know that he calls us to a large general thing. And that as each one of us leans in closer to him, we find more and more specifically what he has equipped us to do, prepared us to do. And the question is not what. The question is if I'm willing to be available. One step at a time. And I think there's some clues to Isaiah's story that in the time we have left, I want to I rewind the story. I took some time to tell it. I wanted to make sure I did it dramatically and that you had some imagery in your mind. Because I want to take some time, and there's actually four little moments within this story that I think you can overlay on your life, and you can begin to know more about what God's calling for your life is. What is he calling you to? What opportunity might you have to say, here I am, Lord, send me. And the first lesson is this. I think we have to seek the presence of God. First and foremost, if you're a note taker, I recommend you write this sentence down. Seek the presence of God. If you're not a note taker, I recommend you write this down. (laughs) Seek the presence of God. Uh, You know, Isaiah ends up in this moment where he gets to be in the throne room of God, whether it's like he got transported there or if it was all just this spiritual vision in the spiritual ethereal realm, I don't know. But he got to experience this. And it was only from this place within the presence of God that the rest of it even happened. And my guess is, he had been a good little Jewish boy growing up and he learned his scriptures and he went to uh, the synagogue and he listened to the reading of the scriptures and he said the prayers and he did all the things he was supposed to do and that he did his best to seek the presence of God starting in small things and that because of that faithfulness, that's why God eventually trusts him to be Isaiah who has this big old book in the Old Testament. So if you want to know how to uh, do what God is calling you to do, first of all, it might be a good idea to get in the same room with him. If you want to know how to perform better at work or make better grades at school, I would recommend that you schedule a meeting with your boss or your teacher. So what if we begin to intentionally schedule time with our creator for the sole purpose of being in his presence, watching him work, and knowing that at some point he's going to have work for us to do? Seek God's presence Make it a priority to open your Bible. Meditate on his word. Pray meaningful prayer. Turn off the stupid device that controls you. Spend time with your creator. I saw a tweet that was floating around this past week that really got me. I don't reshare things very often, but if you're my friend on Facebook, you might have seen this because it just got me. Uh, this, this phrase and this, this person said, if you want to change your worship experience at church, pray before you get there. Ask God to speak to you. Listen to the worship music on the way. Listen to worship music on the way. Take a Bible with you instead of relying on the screens. Don't be late. 
Don't be late. Oh, I only said that once. Sing loudly like you mean it. Take notes. Expect God to move. The thing about church is that this is a gimme for most of us in here. Like other people get here and set this up and we take for granted that when you show up, there's going to be a place for you to hopefully experience the presence of God. So that's a good thing. That's why we do it. It's why churches have buildings. It's like, look, let's create a space, a meeting point where we can do this. Let's all get together and worship God. So this is a gimme. This is the beginning points maybe for you to seek the presence of God. Let me make it meaningful to be with my church family. But what about Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Well, seek the presence of God. So that's the first key to knowing our role in this world, to hear our calling, seek the presence of God. The second thing I see in Isaiah's story, he's in the presence of God. That happens. We need to develop a realistic awareness of our sinfulness. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm ruined (laughs) because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and how often do you stroll into the presence of God in your worship time and you just sweep all of your sinful habits under the rug and be like, I'm just going to think about that later. And then you do. Pull it back out. Or when sin comes knocking on our door and temptation starts hurting us, we go, ah, God can't see this. <laughs> and we just do it. We've got to develop a realistic awareness of our sinfulness. I think that sometimes Christianity has gotten stuck here too much and we talk so much about how ruined we are and how broken we are, but the reality is, like, I think Isaiah would tell us, like, uh, I don't think you could overemphasize how ruined you are. <laughs> Wait till you see the presence of God. You're going to know that your sin is obvious. We tend to let our sins slip and slide all over the place. We sing songs about how we want to know God and we want to be in his presence at church on Sunday and then we go right home back into our sin and our addiction. I wrestle with this too. I see it all the time in my life. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself. Listen to this. If you are actively living and willfully living in sin, you will struggle to discern God's will for your life. Not because he's not going to show it to you, but because how can I ever really be in his presence if I'm constantly putting a wall up between us? And so odds are you're not actually concerned with God's purpose for your life at all. You might feel like you wish you were, but the truth is you're really more concerned about with your own purpose for your life, and that's why it's always in the way. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 reminds us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And listen to the second half, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You want to know God's will for your life? Stop conforming to this world. Stop cramming yourself into the mold that the world made. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 2. Write that down. Memorize it. You're going to need it in your life. And this is how we can know God's will in our life. That we seek his presence and that we develop a realistic awareness of our sinfulness. But we don't have to live in that in, in, in pity and shame all the time. Because God always tries to make a way for us. The third thing is this. We need to accept God's grace. I mean, we don't see it happening that much in Isaiah's story, but when he uh, gets this coals on his lips, there's this moment where he has to submit. And on the other side of it, he could still be like, uh-uh, no, no. But instead, he takes the calling. Do you know that God has placed before you the opportunity to have your sin washed away, your addiction and your pain healed, not instantaneously, 
You've been in an addiction for 20 years. Well, you might need to go see some counseling and you might need to get rid of some things in your house and and change some relationships. Like that stuff's still gotta happen. But God comes in on a spiritual level and and wipes the slate clean and he heals us. I love what 1 John 1, 9 says. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You just gotta come to him. Sure, we're guilty of sin, but he makes a way for us to come into his presence. And so we're going to come into his presence. We're going to be aware of our sinfulness. We're going to accept his grace. Maybe you need to accept that grace. And I just want to take a second right now to say, have you ever done that? Scripture shows us in in the book of Acts especially that every time someone comes to faith in Jesus, they make a decision and they're led into baptism. We're in that moment, Acts chapter 3, verse 2 verse 38 says that uh, we repent of our sins and we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that guide that leads us along and helps us step by step find our purpose in this world. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you been baptized into him? I want to encourage you to do that because this is part of knowing what God has designed you to do, is to getting in his grace. And so the last thing we see, so we, we want to be in his presence, we want to be aware of our sinfulness, we want to accept his grace, and the last thing is simple, Respond. When he does call, respond. Every single week after our service, after the sermon, we have a response time. If you've been here much, you know that. But response has got to be more than just a few minutes we sit here quietly and listen to a song. That's great. But what are we doing in the world? What is he nudging you to do? And I think that when he calls us, we can respond in a couple of different ways. I think the first way that we can respond is what I call the Jonah way. Do you know Jonah from the Bible? He was a prophet in the Old Testament. God said, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. I want you to do this thing for me. He wanted to, to preach there. And you know what Jonah said? He said, here I am, Lord. I'm not going. <laughs> that was the Jonah answer. And guess what? You too can answer that for one easy payment of free. You don't have to do it. And God might be nudging you to do something really nice for somebody or to step up and shine his light into somebody's life and you could be like, "Mm, no. Not, not gonna end this immoral relationship with my significant other. Not gonna quit watching porn. Not gonna quit being addicted to alcohol. I'm not gonna clean up my language so that people can know who my God is better. I'm not, I'm just not going to. Not gonna be more honest with my hours at work. Not gonna be generous with my money. Nope, not gonna do it. Now, to Jonah's credit, he got his butt whipped a little bit, and he came back, and he eventually did the right thing. And this is the thing, no matter how you've been responding to God up to this point, you can still change your mind. But that's the Jonah way. The second way, I'm going to call it the Moses way. You know how Moses responded at first. So I told this story a few weeks ago during the Above and Beyond series, but uh, God comes to Moses and said, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh about the slaves there, and I want you to help release the slaves. And Moses says, here I am, Lord, uh, but could you please send someone else? He says, I don't feel prepared for this. He actually says, who am I? that I should do this. And maybe that's been your, you're like, well, I mean, I'm going to be good. I'm going to honor God. But like, someone needs to teach the preschool class at church? Because maybe somebody else will sign up, right? Someone needs to help that person that broke down on the side of the road. Someone needs to go visit my elderly neighbor. Man, no one's been in that house in three years. Hmm, Maybe somebody will stop by and say, hey, here I am, Lord. But send someone else. And just like the Jonah response, you can do that. And just like the Jonah response, Moses changed his tune, and he did eventually go do what God asked him to do. Or you can have the Isaiah response, and you can say, here I am, Lord. Send me. 
this week as we get all geared up for Christmas and we start listening to the songs and putting the lights up at your house and watching the movies and all this stuff, um, I want to encourage you to stop and ask yourself, am I praying this dangerous prayer? Every week I give us a challenge to take home, something you want to write down, something that you want to do, something that you could theoretically do every single day this week, and this week's challenge is no different. And this is my challenge for all of us, myself included, this week. Every day this week, make yourself available to be used by God in a specific way. Not one day, not after I pay my debt down, not after we finally do this or do that. No, no, this week, pray every day, God, use me, I'm available. Use me in a specific way. The prayer is, here I am, Lord, send me. But I wrote it this way because I want to make sure that it means, it's about being available and it's about doing something. Just like we said last week with faith. Not just like, it's not just this like cerebral thing. I'd be, I'd be theoretically available if something came up. Because he's gonna, he needs you. He's put you to work right now in his kingdom. Every day, there's something. It's not likely that he's going to call every one of us to go live in a mud hut this year. If he does, maybe we can move into the same neighborhood. That'd be kind of fun. And though he may eventually call you to something really big like Dr. Ajay Law or my two friends, Beth, my guess is he's going to start with a single step this week. Like you've been thinking about having this spiritual conversation with a coworker, and every time you get in the room with him, you're like, oh man, I just, I should say something. And you just keep saying, here I am, Lord, send someone else. But you could say, okay, it's going to be awkward, but let me try. Parents, God may be calling you to take some spiritual leadership in your house. And maybe this week, instead of watching Netflix one night or allowing them to play their video game system for umpteen hours, maybe you could turn it all off and say, guys, let's, let's read the Bible together. Let's pray together. If they don't see it in their home growing up, they are not going to do it in their home when they're grown. They're not, unless they marry someone who did, <laughs> or unless God really moves in them, and I mean, it happens, right? Parents, that's your call. If you're curious, lead your kids spiritually. I know you want to set them up financially and academically and for a good career, those are all good things, but actually all of those things are secondary to the spiritual example you set in your house. And so maybe that's what God could call you to do intentionally one day this week. He may be challenging you to start by taking some of those steps that we just talked about. Seek the presence of God and become aware of your sinfulness and, and accept his grace. Maybe that's the step you need to take this week. Maybe you just want to start thinking about becoming a Christian. But every day this week, make yourself available to be used by God in a specific way. This is where journaling is very helpful. You can actually be like, this is my prayer for the day. Guys, I've been feeling this struggle in my own life. And I have answered some calls. It's what led me here. I mean, 10 years ago to move to Wilmington and be part of a church. But still, every day, it doesn't end. The call never ends. And I'll tell you that recently I've been encountering this dude. Uh, we're doing a lot of work at our building over here on Darlington Avenue. And occasionally I've got to go to different shops and pick things up, uh, just supplies. And there's been this person that works at this supply place that I've been seeing for months and hanging out with him. And we're friends now. He recognizes me when I walk in the door. He knows we're the guy. I'm the guy at the church. He doesn't know I'm the pastor at the church. That's my little secret. I haven't told him that yet. Um, believe me, if you're a pastor, people just, they quit being honest with you. Um, so I'm just a dude. As far as he knows, I'm a construction worker. I don't know. Um, but uh, I've been feeling this tug to just talk to him about spiritual things. It's, it's almost come up a few times. And this past Monday, I was in there. And I felt this strong push. Like, I'm just, look, I'm being transparent with you right now. It was like, you should just say something. <laughs> you know what I did? Nope. I didn't. 
And I got back in my truck and I drove back to town and I said to myself, I am sorry, Lord. Please give me another chance. So I hope I see him this week. You can ask me about it. Um, We're all in that boat. What's God calling you to do? Pray dangerously. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let me pray with us today.